Just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. Ted! It's going to work. Great. What is? Total football. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Why? The lasso way! You haven't switched tactics in a week. I haven't? No. You've done this over three seasons. I have? Yes. By slowly but surely building a club-wide culture of trust and support through thousands of imperceptible moments, all leading to their inevitable conclusion. Total football. Well, how about that? <laughs> it's gonna work. Doesn't even matter what number four is. What a fucking dork. Yeah. But he's our dork. What would Ted Lasso do? That's the question we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And I'm Jeff Harry. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it and that it helps you discover your own lasso way and embrace what it means to believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of What Would Ted Lasso Do? This week, we are covering Season 3, Episode 7, The Strings That Bind Us. And this one was written by Phoebe Walsh, who actually plays um, Jane Payne on the show, Beard's Girlfriend. Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) She also wrote the episode All Apologies in Season 1 and Headspace in Season 2, which is the one with Roy and Keeley and the, you know, where he wouldn't leave her side. (laughs) And then this one was directed by Matt Lipsy. And so, yeah, and I just, uh, I want to say I've been a little under the weather, so my voice is a little... um, yeah, deeper and maybe more nasally. So <laughs> uh, hopefully that does not annoy people this this episode. So if it does, sorry. But uh, anyway, so Jeff, uh, how's it going? And what'd you think of this episode? Actually, maybe this is the best time to to talk about it, right? We are right beforehand, we were talking about, you know, the show is coming to an end. You know, there's a lot more apparently Ted Lasso comments of people having a lot of passion towards it <laughs> that's a good <laughs> i'm not part of these groups so i don't know what is happening in these groups because i'm not even fully caught up i watched the episode right beforehand but yes uh dimple what were you saying specifically around that <laughs> yeah i was just saying so you know i i do kind of go through the groups and and see what people are talking about after each episode and first of all it's really amazing how quickly once the episode airs and you know for most people it's been coming out on Tuesday night rather than Wednesday. Like they've been releasing it early. There's like at least one person I, I saw in the group who's like commenting in real time <laughs> in the Facebook group. But the rest of people like within minutes after the episode is done, they're on there. And so it's it's pretty amazing. But yeah, just a lot of feelings around this now and feeling like, you know, I've been reading comments about like, oh, these are just wasted minutes that, you know, that aren't doing anything for the story. There's still a lot of Nate hate out there. But then there's a lot of like swinging back and forth, you know, where like 
I hate this character. I love this character. I hate this character. I love this character. And so like, it's just really funny because as I'm like reading through that, I just keep thinking like the whole point of this is that these are humans. Like they're not perfect. They're that's the, you know, as humans, we are not perfect. And so to hold characters to that standard when we're trying to like, I mean, obviously there's elements of the show that are so far fetched, right? Like this whole like concept, I guess, of this coach going out this way and, and whatever. But I feel like the lessons that they're trying to teach us are based in our own humanity. And so I just think it's funny that, yeah, people definitely have some feelings around this. I think it's also just fascinating the relationship, right? That we have with the show and each person has because like the first season you're like dating and you're like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this person existed. Like now I'm so happy this person existed. And then the second season, maybe they're changing in ways that like you're frustrated or angry about or just like you don't know how you don't know what your feelings are. And now that it's like the third and final season, I think people because they have such an attachment to it that it's almost like a friend that shows up on Tuesday night or Wednesday, you know, and, you know, you have so many feelings because they, that relationship may come to an end or will come to an end unless you want to watch it over and over again. And that's when people's feelings come out, right? It's tough, right? Especially with a show like this that actually feels like a, a loved one. But as we were talking about earlier, you know, I still see it as a show where it's just like, oh my gosh, I still can't believe the show exists. It's just a bonus that it's out there. And I feel once we fall victim to like a certain level of like entitlement or a certain level of like, this is what the show's supposed to be, that's where the joy goes away, right? That's where expectations are the thief of joy. And then you're disappointed, disappointed with something that frankly you didn't know existed less than two years ago, right? So like, that's the irony of it. I I once heard this comedian say this joke where he was on the plane, it had Wi-Fi, and then the Wi-Fi was taken away. And they were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the Wi-Fi was taken away. It's like, you just found out you had it like five minutes ago, and now you feel entitled to it. So, you know, I think we have to reflect on that for each of each of ourselves as we're watching the show. I mean, I think it's interesting, right? Like, I think it goes both ways. Like, I think that when people put creative things out into the world, like they're going to get judged. So that's just a natural part of it. And and it's OK for people to have opinions. Like, I think it yeah. it fosters discussion and I don't know. Sometimes if people are, if writers are reading, you know, what people are saying and stuff, it may influence what they do in the future or whatever. So I think that's good. Like the discussions are healthy, but it was interesting. There was an interview with Coach Beard and they were asking him about, you know, like, like a lot of the criticism that's coming out and things like that. And he said, look, you know, we wrote the first season without like any input from, because nobody knew we, we, you know, we had written the whole season before it came out. Yeah. And then the second season, yeah, we had started hearing things, you know, but we were trying to to write and and do it. And then he said, we just, we've gotten you this far <laughs> and you've gotten invested. And so we just need people to trust us that we will wrap this up in a way that is satisfying, you know? And so I just thought that was interesting. That That's hard, though. That's hard because yeah. p- some people feel they've been robbed before, right? They, their trust have been broken before, like in Lost or some other, you know, or Star Wars or Game of Thrones. They're like, don't do it to me again. So I get it. I get it. 
Yeah, but speaking of feelings, so what did you feel about this one? Oh, <laughs> this might be my favorite episode of this season. Really? Yeah, just oh. from like a feeling standpoint, right? Like I'm going to watch this episode again just whenever I'm feeling down as there's something I really just feel it was so warm and magical for me. Huh, okay. Yeah, I actually really enjoy, enjoyed it. Oh, that's really interesting. Did you notice any themes coming up for you? So the main theme that I got was grand gestures. As I was looking at all these various gestures and being like, oh, there's grand gestures happening throughout the entire show. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this is fascinating. This is the theme that... And then I started looking through the entire show through the lens of grand gestures. Oh, interesting. So for me, the overarching theme was one of trust and choice. And so trust in ourselves, like when we are getting feelings about certain things, like trusting our intuition, and then learning to trust the people around us. And then just understanding like our own agency in those relationships, whether it's with ourselves or with others. So that's really what came up for me through each of the storylines. Um, like that was the through line for me. So so there was kind of, we had four-ish storylines going. We had um, the storyline with Sam, the storyline with Keely and Jack, storyline with Nate, and then kind of what's happening with the team and, and the community by extension. Yes. Um, and so let's, let's start with Sam. Uh, so Sam's restaurant is doing well. Can't find it. Can't get a table. Yeah. You can't get a table. It's yeah. Yeah. And I loved his little, uh, I need a Ray Liotta. <laughs> it's like a callback to Goodfellas where yep. uh, Ray Liotta's character had a table in the restaurant. Right. And so I love yeah. that he also has to ask for a favor to get a table at the restaurant he created. Yeah. Right. Like talk about humility as an owner, you know, instead of us again and gratitude as opposed to entitlement right yeah and i love farida and simi like they're both just oh, like yeah. these strong women and yeah i loved it yep but yeah so we've got um simi the chef she's in in the kitchen and um she's not happy she's really frustrated because of this home secretary um brinda barrett yep and just you know her response to refugees coming into the country right or like they're on a boat right now, kind yeah. of not quite there yet. Yeah. So this, I thought this was interesting, this whole like storyline around immigration and xenophobia. And, you know, I think just really brave for the writers to attack it. The, also this late into the season too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially. And, but also just very timely, right? Like, I think that this is actually quite uh, timely. And so, I was doing a little research and um, this character of Brenda Barrett is likely based on there's two women who have been the home secretary recently. So Preeti Patel and Suella Braverman, and they both have been criticized for their views on immigration. And so Patel in 2022 had a anti-refugee bill known as the Nationality and Borders Bill. And then Braverman had similar views around refugees and immigration, and she's the current home secretary. First of all, let me just say I'm very disappointed because Priti Patel is Gujarati. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, come on, man. And given like how many Gujaratis in England were refugees coming out of like East Africa and stuff like that, it just yep. really makes me sad that she would be taking such a stand. 
But then we have the shut up and dribble comment yep. as well, right? And so that was a direct quote from Fox News's Laura Ingram, who said those words about LeBron James after he talked about politics in an interview. And so, yes, I like that they brought in all these real life events and kind of um, put them in here. What's also interesting about the shut up and dribble was so that was said and then the pandemic happened and players in the NBA played during the pandemic in this bubble where they were just like all like us in Florida together and they were allowed to wear whatever shirts they wanted. Oh, really? During warmups, as well as they could change their name on the back of their shirt. So a lot of people had Black Lives Matter on their shirt throughout the playoffs. So it went from like, you need to be quiet. You're just a sports player. You need to just do this to them having, because there was nothing else to, to watch yeah, yeah, to them being able to express their views literally on their jerseys. Oh, that's awesome. Which is like a big risk and a big move by the NBA um, that happened. But there's something also that's really interesting that Sam brings up that I thought was really just powerful and also really sad is um, this idea of they love you mm -hmm. as long as you play and win yep. and you don't disagree with them. Yeah. And what happened when England was in the, I think the Euro finals, Euro finals. In 2022. Years, yeah. Yeah. 2022. Yep. You know, the players that missed their penalty, they happen to be black. And then there was all this racism that came out right afterwards exactly. regarding them. And, and, and that's not just in soccer. Like I've seen that, you know, in sports that happened with the Boston Red Sox with like Poppy was like the big guy, the, the one of the from the Dominican Republic. But the rest of the team was predominantly white and people like loved him until they hated him. And it was just you've seen this over and over again where racism comes to a forefront in sports mm -hmm. and to the point that not only do you see the kneeling that happened with Colin Kaepernick in NFL? And yeah. then you see Black Lives Matter movement in NBA. But then even now with soccer, all the way up until last year, they were kneeling right before games and they have against racism signs all throughout all of their um, mm -hmm. advertisements. Yeah. So the three players from England were Marcus Rashford, um, Jaden Sancho and Bukayo Saka. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And right after that had happened, Jason Sudeikis actually walked the red carpet for a premiere of something and he had a T-shirt on with their names on it. So he's been pretty vocal in his own way. And so, yeah, I do love that they they rolled that in and kind of um, brought it to light again. And those three players actually brought England all the way up to the quarterfinals this year. So it's just like now people love them again. Yeah, but exactly. at the time they didn't love them. So it's just like, oh my goodness. Well, and Sam's comment about go back to where you came from, right? Because that's the other part that's really hard is I think, you know, like a lot of these players, yes, they are coming from other countries, but you know, like I used to do military naturalizations when I mm. um, was working in immigration. And it was one of the most amazing things you could ever do because you are naturalizing a person who is willing to fight for your country. Yeah. Even though they are not yet a citizen, you know, yeah. and that always like really struck me. And I always found those ceremonies really meaningful. And so it's like, 
it's like we want to have, you know, we want to bring in the best of the best to do the things that either we don't want to do or that we need help with. <laughs> and then as soon as like, you know, they say something or do something that we don't agree with, then it's like, oh, go back to where you came from. And it's yeah. just, it's, it's really, I think it's got to be such a difficult way to exist in this world. And it's, it's really sad, you know? Well, this is where the irony and the frustration too, because a lot of people said when France won the world cup a few years ago, they were like a majority of the team, 80 to 90% of the team was black yeah. and 80 to 90% of the team was from Africa. So a lot of Africans were like, that's our team. Like yeah, yeah. all those players. And I recently was talking to this Lyft driver from, I think Nigeria. And mm -hmm. he was telling me how, you know, a lot of the players that are currently playing in Europe for other countries, not even other, other team, you know, like, the the regular standard teams but for like the national team they should be playing for my for nigeria but they're not mm -hmm. due to whatever reason you know corruption or whatever the case may be but it's just like so many african players are being taken yeah to europe almost like trinkets like in a british museum and then you know and then you know, used. And then if they're annoying, then they want to cast them away. Yeah. And it's ironic. It's like you can't have both. Right. So that's the. Well, and it's like as crazy as Edwin Akufu was <laughs> in a previous episode, his, his intention. Point. Yeah. For right. bringing all those players back, I thought was really lovely, you know, right. and and it's true because there's a, a obviously like a, an economic difference for sure. Right. Like the way that these European teams are funded and stuff versus exactly, yeah. African teams and things like that. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. But so this whole this whole storyline, I definitely hit home for me just because I spent 20 years working in immigration. But also yep. I'm, you know, as a daughter of an immigrant and yep. daughter of a refugee, like it it definitely um, or I guess niece of a refugees. It definitely hit home. And so I can understand Sam's frustration. Right. I love that he he really genuinely believes that, you know, you can appeal to people's better angels and like, yeah. you know, try to speak with reason and, and get them to change their minds. And Simi's like, Nope, <laughs> it's not going to happen. And so to see his anger boil over and, you know, when he comes back into the locker room and, you know, and just pushes past Isaac and Isaac's like, well, yo, like what's going on? You know, you, yeah. and especially because he's always just so cheerful and whatever. Yeah. Right. And so to see that anger bubble over, like it was just so heartbreaking. And, um, but, oh man, when I heard the word Samuel, right. And, and he, he turned around and it was his dad. And so um, his dad, Ola played by Nonso Anozi, who was also in game of Thrones. So there was a little game of Thrones reunion. I love that actor. He's amazing. He's yeah. also an Ender's game. Wait, wait, who, what was the reunion in Game of Thrones? Oh, uh, with Rebecca? With Rebecca, yeah. Oh. Yeah. But oh my gosh, that scene, just, you know, when he just melted into his dad's arms, I, you know, like, and they cut to like Jamie and they cut to, you know, Ted and to see kind of that relationship. Cause we've known from the beginning that that's one of the best father son relationships on this show, right? Yep. But yeah, I just I thought that whole thing was really, really beautiful. I also am fascinated with the fact that so many of the most powerful scenes happen in that locker room. Yeah. Jamie crying after his father and then hugging Roy. You know, the the Ted talks that happen from time to time. So many pivotal moments 
where people are the most vulnerable happen in that locker room, you know? So I think that's really well, I think fascinating. Part of it is like the locker room just as a symbol is is very masculine, right? And often steeped in toxic masculinity. And so Jason Sudeikis had an interview not too long ago where he talked about, you know, um, one of the overarching themes for the show is that evil exists. So bullies, toxic masculinity, malignant narcissists, and we can't just destroy them. Like, it's just not realistic. And so his whole thing around this is, you know, it's how you deal with those things. You know, I think they're really trying to dispel the myth of it has to be this toxic masculine way. Yeah. Um, and that there are other ways of doing this. And so I really like that. And I loved what his father said, right? Because his father was just like, don't fight back, you know, fight forward. Yeah. And that's an interesting, I mean, I, I'd love to hear what your interpretation of that means. But I feel like what I hear there is don't fight the battles of the past. It's just like, let's figure out how we can move forward in a way that both takes the high road, but also comes from like a place of like, well, I'm not going to give up, right? Because like one of the best things he could do is to rebuild the restaurant and and keep going, right? Yeah, I think so too. I think it is very much fighting forward is about um, not letting the past hold you down because I think a lot of times we get stuck in, like we we just ruminate over the stuff that's happened and we like get angry and we get stuck. And so it's about, I guess, letting that inform your choices, but letting it go so that you can keep moving forward to making, you know, new choices. Viktor Frankl, there's a quote by Viktor Frankl that's one of my favorites because of all the mindfulness work that I do. And he says, between the stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our freedom and power to choose our responses. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And so I think like that's very much, um, you know, what this fighting forward is about is about learning to like take that breath in between, like, you know, when that angering thing happens or like that event happens, being able to pause for a moment and then actually like choose our response moving forward rather than just reacting. And I think fighting forward is about choosing our response rather than just reacting. Just reacting. I love that. I was uh, speaking to a bunch of mayors recently, and I and I spoke to this mayor from this conservative town um, in California, and she told me this inspiring story of how she was able to address toxicity and toxic masculinity in her city council. And she spoke about how it took like four years of showing up each day being calm and collected and when they would go after her she would just stay rooted you know in you know who she is and and would constantly push back but from a respectful place and in many ways you know through their council meetings and things like that they ruined it for themselves because they they or they hung themselves in a way because she was so calm and collected and they were so like reactive right they started to look worse and worse. And then a few of them stepped down. And I believe in, even one changed his behavior over a certain period of time. And when she first came there, I don't think she thought that would have been possible. And she was able to change the culture of this entire city government 
by just being grounded and calm and understanding, you know, how to show up with her own values. But it took a really long time. But the fact that that happened, like, brings me a certain level of hope. As I think a lot of times people are like, it's toxic. No way it's going to change. And it's like, it can, you know, but like toxicity thrives in silence. And she was not silent. She was constantly pushing, but from a respectful place. Yeah. I mean, but that's kind of what Ted Lasso is too, right? Like when he came into the team, it was pretty toxic. And he just kept showing up in that same way and slowly made inroads that way, right? Like uh, there's a power in that for sure. You know, it it takes time, but showing up and being curious and being open, eventually that I think does lead to opening the other people around us in the same way. If we can stay with it, it's not easy though. Like it, yeah. is, it is really hard in the, like those moments of like dealing with total jerks that like, yeah. it's really, really hard. That and are so, triggering you at that moment. So yeah. here's my question to you before we move on to the next storyline is, should had Sam tweeted back the response that he did the, the response that he did where he called um the secretary a, a bigot i mean but i think that's the point right like i think that w- whether he should have or shouldn't have i think is irrelevant like oh. i think that uh it's a very human response right uh-huh. like you've just right. been totally triggered sure. you feel like you need to stand up for yourself too yeah and i think you know I, I think he was speaking truth to power because yeah. she is a bigot and she needs to be called out. Uh, but having said that, you know, sometimes it's just like when um, uh, Rebecca asked Ted in episode one, like, are you going to fight back? Yeah. You know, with all the stuff Nate's saying, and he said no. And so sometimes there's, there's even more power in not responding. But having said that, like, I think that that's the whole thing that was shown here. Right. Like he, he fought back which was just a reaction in that moment, right? He was so angry. Yep. And so just taking that moment to kind of think through, well, how do I want to respond? Yeah. It might've, it might've, you know, given him an opportunity to do something different, whether this was right or wrong though. Like I, I can't really say because, you know, I think we have all done stuff like that in the moment, you know? I think what was magical is there is a Kit Kintsugi moment, you know, the, the, near the end where um i love that he goes you know oh well we're going to replace the mirrors on monday and he goes no keep them you know and it's a good reminder but it's also like not only is a good reminder but it's also embracing a certain level of of imperfection and a certain Mm -hmm. level of of history as as well of being like hey this happened and we want to remember that and i found that to be really beautiful it was as well as just the beauty of them of the whole team coming to Uh. like clean up the place like come on and i loved that they took what they had been learning on the pitch and applied it in this situation right and so yeah like what did what does the situation need in this moment and they said we thought you needed us and i thought oh and and to your point about the mirrors he does specifically say right like it's a reminder that everything doesn't need to be perfect and so yeah 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 such a kintsugi moment yeah so can can we then go to the team wait wait i just want to finish out this storyline real quick though and just say how heartwarming it was like we don't know his father's name until the end right when i know the lights go on and i know um even when he met rebecca like that was really awkward (laughs) i know he just sat there and he just (laughs) smiled 
And then she smiled. And then it was just like, what is happening? I was trying to figure that out. And then Kaylee was like, Greyhounds. Kaylee was like, Greyhounds, got to break the tension. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, like, I mean, obviously Sam has told him everything about Rebecca, but I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I couldn't figure Like, it was just so awkward. And uh, what's interesting, though, is when he meets Simi, Simi he's um, it's just like very comfortable. And he's like, oh, my son's told me so much about you. And then when she says Mr. Obisanya, he tells her to call him Ola. Uh-huh. And so there's just a level of familiarity there, which was really lovely. And yeah, and I love that that's who he named the restaurant after. And when he saw the lights go on, like, oh, he my started, gosh, I started. I, like, I cried. Yeah, I cried um, for sure. When This is uh, why it's my favorite episode yeah. of this season. Well, let's move on to Keely. I was going to be like, can we talk about the team? But yeah, yeah. yeah really OK, good. let's let's talk about the team. That's fine. Well, the reason why I want to talk about the team is because they're cleaning up the place. They're, you know, they turn the sign on for his his father, his father. And at that moment when the music's playing and they're all hanging out at the dinner, you know, and, and everyone's connecting and sharing stories. And, you know, uh, Sam is in the back dancing with his father. I was like, this is why I think this is my favorite episode, because I'm like, oh, they won. Like they've won. Like mm. regardless of whatever happens the rest of the season. Yeah. Even though a storyline I would love to see is them winning all the games and then winning the championship and whatever it is, you know, they've already like achieved so much. Um, And that dinner is like a culmination of so much of what Ted and everyone else has contributed to that, you know, they are just so comfortable with each other and had such a good feeling similar to the Christmas episode when they had like dinner together. There's such a warmness to yeah. it that I'm like, ah, ah, it was so good. It was yeah. so good. Uh, yeah, that was really beautiful. But yeah, so let's talk about the team. So they are putting out, I mean, they're going to start working on total football, right? And so that, <laughs> that whole thing with Beard kind of explaining the concept to them was pretty funny. With the 1970s, style yeah yeah so ted says you know this is about taking risks and supporting each other's choices and letting go of baggage and trusting your intuition yeah and so you know going back to that theme of trust like for sam it was about you know trusting himself trusting uh and then also trusting that he doesn't have to do everything himself right like he had he can rely on other people um, but his storyline was also about choice very much about that uh -huh. choice and agency and so for the team it's literally about trust, right? Like this whole thing with the red strings, it had that lead tasso feel for me where I was like, this oh, is yeah. totally unnecessary, but yeah. whatever. And it actually is a callback to a movie called Old School. I don't think I've ever seen, but I guess they do something similar. So, but the point of that was just like, you have to trust your teammate, right? Like you have to trust that they're not gonna um, literally harm you. Yep. And that you guys are working together. And so with the total football, Ted laid out three, he, he said it was four principles, but he laid out three, right? So conditioning, which was being in good shape, and then versatility, which is asking the question, what does this situation need right now? And then awareness. So knowing what your teammates are doing at all times. 
And it's interesting because in mindfulness, we talk about awareness, right? And awareness is just being able to notice what's happening with, with yourself, especially like in your mind, like what stories are being told and then in your body, what, you know, sensations you're experiencing. So you can start to notice like what emotions and things are coming up and you can make that choice to respond rather than react in a situation. And so I love that um, that's a part of this. But yeah, so so that whole kind of being out on the pitch and doing that, what came up for me under the conditioning though was it's interesting because first of all, I don't like this side of Roy, <laughs> which like he's like really into making other people feel pain right now. And like I'm like, oh my God. I mean, but talk about human. Talk about the humanity. Like it's him being himself. Oh boy. Like when he starts giggling, you know, with the Yeah. The fact that he even got that passed, I think he's just so happy because I mean, I know, right? I don't recommend that exercise. And also it was talk about level of trust, you know, so. But the whole thing of running everybody from end to end for the whole training, it reminded me of what Nate was doing to his people. Yeah. You know, with running. I mean, a little bit. I think the point, though, is it's what he's been doing with Jamie the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. with total football, if you're a forward, you have to run back on defense. Like yeah. me being me being a defender, I used to make a run where I would pass to the center midfielder and then make a run from the bottom left corner of the field all the way to the top corner. That is a long distance. Yeah, it yeah. is exhausting. Yeah. And then after you get it in the corner and you cross it, your butt has to get back. And yeah. like, that yeah. is so and to do that over and over and over again, yeah. you have to be in a certain level of shape or it's yeah, impossible yeah. No, for, for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, so they they're going through that whole kind of process and learning to trust each other, learning to trust the process that they're going to be where they need to be. And as Ted, as he as usual, decides they're not going to do this months later. They're going to do it now, like at their first game. No, you got to do it now. Of course, it goes miserably wrong in the first half. Just talk about practice, right? First practice. Yeah. It, it goes it goes really bad during practice. Yeah. Jamie almost loses his thing, you know, at one point. And then you're like, should we be doing this? Like, Well, and Trent even asks Ted, right? Like, so you're mm-hmm. telling me that you're going to, you know, put this forward, a, a thing that clearly the team is struggling to even do now or struggling to understand. And he says, you know, the the Robert Frost, he's like, it's like, you know, walking with Robert Frost or something like that. It could go either way. Yep. And so I thought that that was kind of funny. I think there's something else that's really special about the idea of total football that um, Coach Beard talks about, right? Because first of all, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know Johan Krumpf you know, or Krauf, Krauf was, but the fact that that all connects from this guy to this guy to Pep Guardiola. Yeah. Pep Guardiola, who is like the pinnacle of coaching, who's coached some of the best teams, you know, in the world. And people literally like, you know, watch documentaries on this guy. Yeah. I did not know that it was all connected to that. Who was also... Jamie's coach, right? Because was also Jamie's coach, right? So it's like the the connection to that is just like, oh, that makes so much more sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, you know, to have that level of trust, like, you know, my nephew, you know, played forward and 
his team even tried to match, you know, what like Barcelona would do. And it's so difficult. The level of like of communication you have to have without saying anything. That's the part that's so crazy. Yeah. And so of all the people um, to really step up, once again, it's Jamie, right? Mm -hmm. Who sees what the problem is. And I love the callback to um, the previous episode, the the signal where he says, you know, like, I don't want to say it because I don't want anyone to think I'm a prick. And everyone like flips him off to say, like, we want you to be like, this is the moment to be that. Yeah. And it shows, again, we've talked about his growth a number of times, but like, you know, um, when Danny recognized, Danny says, yeah, you know, this is the fourth thing, sacrificing self-glory for the team, right? Mm-hmm. And and then Ted says, that's not the fourth thing. But but Jamie, Jamie recognizes it's not just about him scoring all the goals, yeah. right? So even like when they handed out those pieces of paper about who they were partnering with, he was like, well, you must have made a mistake because it's just me. And they said, oh, well, we just want you to keep doing what you're doing, right? Like, don't you want to do that? Just keep going out and scoring goals. And you can see he's kind of like, uh, okay. Yeah. Like, he wants to be part of the process as well. Exactly. Exactly. And so, and then we see that his idea is on the right track because then they come out and they actually end up scoring. And um, and I loved how they described the the announcer said, you know, it's a majestic sweeping symphony of a goal with Tart in the role of conductor. And so. And what's interesting is going back to Coach Beard's tape, there always was the guy. Yeah. The guy that that connects it all. And Hep used to play that role. And this other guy, Joseph, used to play that role. And Johan. And now they were waiting for Tart without telling him that. And he had that epiphany you know, on his own and then uh, stepped up. But I don't think they knew it either, though. Maybe they didn't. Yeah, maybe they didn't. I don't think they did. Whoever's going to step up, right? Whoever's going to evolve in. But then it was such a beautiful. I love that they actually showed it, too, because I watch so many, you know, TikToks of video clips like that, where like it's like 10 or 12 passes, you know, in a row. But you really do have to be on the same page. And I already felt they were on the same page a little bit beforehand when they were when the the kit man was throwing the bottles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were playing some songs from Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. Yeah. From. Oh, is it from a from a it, movie? It's a TV That's, show. Hogan's Heroes. OK. Yeah. Where. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Like like I just love that because they're starting to read each other. Yeah. Which I just yeah. found so beautiful. But so I I don't think any of the coaches realized, like, I don't think they thought about Jamie in that way. And also, I don't think they were necessarily doing it right. Like, I think they had this idea for total football based on what Ted had kind of come up with and what the actual theory of total football is. Um, But it's not until Jamie kind of explains, like, you know, you have to go through me, not to me. And then he says, that's actually what total football is, isn't it? And so, yeah. I think they they weren't entirely sure that they were just kind of winging it. And, you know, they had some ideas and stuff. But I love that Ted also says that, you know, sometimes the best idea is, um, you know, hiding behind a whole bunch of other. Oh, he says a lot of times the right idea is sitting behind the wrong ones. Yep. And so you have to, you know, we I think we've talked about this, right? This idea of like failure, like sometimes you have to go through the process of of making all these mistakes along the way to finally get to the thing 
that is going to be the thing that works. And so, yeah, I love that they're, you know, they're open to that. Yeah. You, you must have crappy first drafts Yeah, and you must make many crappy first drafts because if you focus on trying to get to the perfection at the beginning, yeah. you just won't. And it actually reminds me ironically of like a quote I recently heard from Matt Damon when he was talking to Ben Affleck and he was like, one of the best advice Matt, uh, Ben ever said to me, it was just like, don't judge me on my worst ideas, judge me on my oh, yeah. best ideas. Right. And I think there's this, there's yeah that process of again, trust, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that it's going to, it's going to work out. It's going to play out. It's in the middle of the, the mess right now. It's really crappy, yeah. but it's going to come together and talk about the theme of grand gestures. Just thinking about the Ola sign. And that's a grand gesture you know, us doing total football and embracing it right now is a grand gesture by Ted. You know, Jamie stepping up and being like, all right, I'm going to go to the board. And then him looking at everyone gathered around him. I love that moment yeah. where he's just like, oh, my goodness. Now I'm coaching. Now I'm doing st- this whole time. He's wanted people to like him. And then now when he's just simply being himself, that's when they like him the most. Yeah. Yeah, those sweet. He's let go of it. But what I love is that as they're doing this, it's bringing the community in too. And so, you know, the the team losing impacts more than just the team, right? Like it really impacts the community. And May talks about how, like, literally, like her pub is empty if they're not winning. Yeah. And I love when the boys come to tell Ted that they're sorry for getting soft on him and humanizing him <laughs> and losing all objectivity. And his response is to invite them to come and watch training. And which is perfect. I yeah. Love grand gesture. Another grand gesture right there. I love what he says to Beard, which is, you know, it's their team. We're just borrowing it for a little while. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about, I don't know if you've watched Welcome to Wrexham yet. I haven't watched Welcome to Wrexham, but I have been watching so good. the games. So so because they are doing really well. They oh, just yeah. got out of re- relegation. So I they watched. They did, exactly. So I, I, I'm going to wait till it's over and then watch the all the documentaries. But talk about like a, yeah. a Cinderella story. They just got renewed for season two. So season one is fully up there on Hulu now. Yeah, so Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, um, it's interesting because when they wanted to buy Wrexham, they actually made their appeal to the community because uh-huh. they knew that this team belongs to the community, you know? Exactly. And so, and they talk about it in the show about how nervous they are because they know that this could make or break it and stuff like that. Yeah. And so, and what I loved watching was over the course of each training, like each of the, you know, as they're going through conditioning, versatility, awareness, that there's more people showing up in the stands, right? Yeah. And so the original invitation was just to the three of these guys. Yeah. But as more people show up, they're clearly just letting them in. And um, and it's nice because there's a sense of like ownership and buy-in that comes in um, as you involve the community in this process, right? And so much ownership that one of the fans is like, he gets the red string and then he's like, who wants to do this? With yeah, me? yeah, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. Just walking around. <laughs> I love it. And I also love the the them trading personalities like they're like embracing the idea yeah but um my favorite which we haven't mentioned was the um embrace the kit man uh, oh, being, being coach beard, beard. oh my and gosh he, just, he was so good he was so i don't even know what he said but he was just like bah, 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 bah. 
No, and then he said, let's go. Is that Coach Beard? Yeah. Wait, what does he say? Where he goes, let's go. Just oh, like, is that how he says it? Let's remember go. how like, but he like screams <laughs> it like Beard did. I know. Yeah. I, I don't love... want to do that on the mic because it'll burst people's eardrums. But I love that. I just love that play, right? Like yeah. the yeah. level of play. And even when the, the players are like, can we be each other? And he's just like, no, you can't. And he's like, okay, you can. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that level of play just was so much fun. Yeah. To the point that the the kit man had had beards beard. <laughs> he had drawn it in. <laughs> I mean, he had his mannerisms down. And even like when he's sitting at his desk with his feet up, reading the book, reading some old book yeah. from like 1985 or something like that. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. What was the book, though? As you uh, always know the book. I know. Honestly, I didn't even look this time. Oh, you didn't look at this book. I think it was Inverting the Pyramid. I think okay. it was probably the same one that Beard had been reading. But uh, but I'll have to go back and look. But I want to, um, we don't have too much time left, but I want to talk about Keely. Oh. Because this was a pretty big. Grand gestures. Grand It's gestures. interesting because you say grand gestures. I'm saying love bombing. And I don't see this as a good story. Like I. Oh, I'm not saying the grand gestures good or oh, bad. Okay. I'm just All saying right. grand gestures is what is happening. Right. Okay. Like you're like Ola's sign is a grand gesture. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. like, you know. Uh, Ted choosing to include total football right now is a is a huge gesture. Yeah. Now, some of these grand gestures might not be helpful, like potential potential love bombing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like this storyline was about Keely learning to trust herself and then also uh, this idea of trusting people when they tell you who they are, because. Yeah. People always tell you who they are and we make up other stories about who we want them to be. That is true. That is very true. And so we see with Keely and Jack, it starts off with them having coffee. Jack gives her the first edition signed Sense and Sensibility, which she has defaced by writing in You Go Girl. Look look how angry you are. I am. Because, I mean, it's crazy. And it is kind of crazy, dude. Like, that is ridiculous. So I looked it up. <laughs> that um, assigned copy of Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility, first edition, sold in uh, February 2020. Guess for how much? $1.5 million. Okay, not that high. But, okay. <laughs> but $81,000. $81,250. Okay. And she just like completely defaced it like it's no big deal. And she can because she's rich and whatever. But she says to Keely in that moment, right, that like, oh, I get I get very jealous and don't like the idea of you regifting the book. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. Like who would regift a first edition? Of that book, but yeah. Yeah. And then Barbara, you know, Barbara comes into Keely's office, notices the book, kind of surprised. And Keely kind of let slip that she got it from Jack when they had breakfast that morning. And then right away, she's like, uh, I mean, coffee. I mean, uh, you know, like, and she tries to walk it back. And so you can tell, like, she's kind of nervous because she doesn't really know, like, what the relationship is. Right. And I think on some level, there's a little bit of unease because, like, we've talked about, you uh, know, power Jack, dynamics. Yeah. Jack is funding her whole operation. Yeah. And could pull it at any time. Yeah. And so then that whole scene with the frosted glass, like, open, close, open, close. Like, she's just, like, oh. losing it, you know? 
And so, yeah. And so then when like Jack's like, you know, tell me what's going on. And, and, and Keely says, you know, I don't know what our relationship is and this and that. And instead of like having a discussion in any great depth or whatever, Ah. she just goes out and like tells the whole office, right? Like we're dating, which to me was very much a power move. Interesting. And then she says, and you know, if anyone has any issues, they can talk to me, Keely or Barbara, which I was like, (laughs) don't throw Barbara into this. (laughs) Well, so one of the things that people have been talking about is it is very possible that Barbara has had this situation come up before with Jack. Oh, you know, I didn't even she's think worked about with that. Jack for so oh long, my right? Gosh. And so people are going deep. Yeah. Oh, so gosh. I was like, that's interesting, but I don't know. So some people see that as like, oh, that's awesome that she like went out and was like, yeah, look, like I care. But it's like they haven't been dating that long, and again for the boss to come out and say like like anyone's gonna say they have a problem with this when it's like the boss saying like oh we're having a relationship you know well what did you think that about that keely thought it was so sweet though the gesture i mean again i think when you're in that position Mm -hmm. it does feel like a sweet gesture it's true you know it does yeah and at the time when i watched it i was like oh that's that's nice she's not she's trans she's trying to be transparent but I, but you have a good point. Like, I didn't think that they were like, let's have this discussion first. Let's have an agreement and then let's go out as a unified front rather than like, we're just going to wing it in front of. Well, also, Keely runs this place and like, That's true. she didn't ask her like, hey, how do you feel about letting your staff know or whatever, you know, like but it's... she but Keely did say, I, I, I don't mind. I wish we could just tell the staff. I don't think she said we should just tell the staff. I think she said, I'm used to everyone knowing everything about everything about me. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, but I don't know. Like, I just think there could have been more of a discussion. Yeah. I do agree that, that with each and every gesture, grand gesture, like it's almost like she couldn't stop. Right. Yeah. Like even at the end where she's just like, here, just a croissant. And then there's like a ring in the croissant or something like that. Look, look, look how, I love how I love how frustrated you are. <laughs> I know this is this storyline really like makes me. This, this is really getting to you. I'm like, okay, uh, I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> this person maybe loved bobbing, but you tell me more about the what's the frustration coming out from you? Well, no. So then, like the other red flag was when Keely and Rebecca go to dinner, right? Because already it feels like. Jack has been isolating Keely from Rebecca, oh, right? Because like when point. you think about when they went to Norway, no, where did they go? Amsterdam. Yeah. She flew her to Norway. Yeah. For like the night. She flew yeah. her to, yeah. Well, first of all, there was the whole thing when they got together, right? So Keely was supposed to go be with Rebecca at the game. Oh. She or the match and she stayed behind, which that part's fine. But then like subsequently we see Rebecca had tried to reach her two or three times in that episode, couldn't get a hold of her. Yeah. And then the game in Amsterdam and Keely leaves again. Right. And then when they finally sit down to have drinks or dinner, they talk about how it's been a while since they've had a chance to actually catch up. Right. And again, I'm not saying that's necessarily bad all the time because like when you're in a new relationship that happens, whatever. But the fact that like, even at the end of dinner, like Jack has paid for the whole meal. Yep. Again, like you said, it's a grand gesture. It could be seen as like, Oh, that's so cool. But it's, it's almost like 
her insecurity with Rebecca, who's also a powerful woman, you know? Yep. And to be like, I took care of this. I'm here now. I like, I don't know, like, like asserting no, her. At, at all yeah. times, you should be thinking about me. Yeah. yeah. There's some, there's something of that. And also it's interesting, Keely's response when Rebecca's like, I've seen this before. Yeah. You know, my second date with Rupert, he took me to a car show and was like, which car do you want? And she's like, I drove home with a bloody Jaguar like that, you know, and and but I'm also trying to put myself in Jack's shoes where, you know, if I'm that rich or whatever it is, maybe I don't know how to express myself otherwise. Maybe this is my love language. My la- love language is languages of gifts. <laughs> I mean, your face is like now. Not allowed. There's languages of gifts. And then there's like, this is over the top. It is over the top. I mean, like the flowers, the flowers in the tiger. Just, just there was something symbolic about the flowers in the tiger. But what did you think about when Keely was just like the love blind thing that she came up with? The emotional version. I mean, I think she's right. Like, I think we are love blind in the, you know, in those moments, like, uh, I know I've definitely been in situations where I can't see the the bad things in a person, you know, or like the not bad things. I shouldn't say it like that, but like the red flags, like I don't see them because I'm in the relationship or I'm in that stage of like this person is everything. And but everyone around me can see the red flags and they're trying to let me know and it's not helping. But you also like if you haven't been taking care of them in a really long time. Like it just feels really good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and that can be intoxicating. Right. And that is a key word, intoxicating rather than. And when so when Rebecca's like, you know, shiny things can tarnish. Yeah. I think Keely might be like, why are you pooping on my parade? Right. The whole hush your butt thing. <laughs> <laughs> but Rebecca's speaking from, you know, experience and is just wanting her to, you know, be happy. But this is why I find it so funny is so at the end when they find out Jack is going to be buying it, Rebecca just starts ordering all his stuff, which is, I think is awesome. Yeah. And the 34 Chateau Cheval Blanc that she ordered sells for $2,000 a bottle. Oh, my. And to, and to go. Yeah. She ordered it to go and said, and one for yourself. She gave one to the. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I don't think she felt like Rebecca was like raining on her parade or anything. I think it got her to start thinking, though, because uh, it was after that cool. when like Jack filled her office with flowers, with flowers. And, you know. And so I, I looked up love bombing because I was curious to like get more information. And it it is exactly this, right? It says it's a tactic used by narcissists and it's a dangerous form of emotional abuse, a manipulative tactic, which is not only abusive, but also extremely hard to detect when it's being unleashed on an unsuspecting person. And so it's meant to make the person feel dependent and obligated. And so like, when you think about like all the big gifts, right? Like you do start to feel like, oh, like I I should do something for this person or whatever. And so the the example that was used in the article I was reading was, um, and I'll I'll link to the article, was uh, like the Netflix documentary, The Tinder Swindler. Did you see that? Oh yeah. It was insane, right? And so this guy who it was that dude was insane. Yeah. So he was doing like all these like, like to your point, grand gestures, right? Grand like gestures. flying people around on their private jet and like taking them to these expensive meals and this and that. 
And then he would like come back later and be like, hey, so can you give me 30 grand? Because, you know, 30 like grand, specifically like, 30 grand. And you'd be like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm good for it. <laughs> and, and they so, gave it to him. That's yeah. the craziest part is they gave it to him. Yeah. And then the other piece of this is the love bomber will demand your attention time and may isolate you from family and friends. And so, again, you know, Jack kind of taking Keely away from Rebecca and then like other people. And this kind of sounds messed up, but this is also very similar to grooming. Yeah. It's a very similar, which, you know, like pimps do with, you know, yeah, their staff, as they would call them. And it's just like this is, is extremely manipulative because then at some point the love bombing goes away and then you desire it all the time. And you're yeah. like, did I do something wrong? And then you have to earn it back. And that was the one time I was like kind of weirded out by Jack when she was just like, let me take you out for dinner. And she's like, it better be like good. Yeah. Right? Or she says something to that effect. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. how am I going to ever live up to what you've already given me? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. so it's interesting. So Keely said her favorite flower is daisies and like a big kind of overarching homage in this episode is to the movie You've Got Mail. Ah. And so at the beginning, the, you know, the, the episode opens with the cranberries playing and all the uh, businesses opening and stuff like that. And that's the kind of same opening to the movie You've Got Mail with Kathleen Kelly, like walking down the street and all that kind of stuff. And so oh, I love that. Um, and her favorite flower in the movie is daisies and things like that. So I thought that was kind of cute. Just a reference. I forgot another movie reference that was made me so happy was when um, who was it? Uh, was it Isaac? Isaac was taking the corner kick uh-huh. and then he kicks it into the glass. Yeah. The, the, you know, like, what are the, what the are top the auto- gun? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it was from major league. Oh, major the league movie, major league where he's yeah. like, just a bit outside and he says it in an oh yeah 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 in an american accent because yeah. bob euchre just said that when yeah when the wild thing would like throw it into the stands when he's trying to pitch and i was like yeah oh my goodness a major league reference i was so excited oh my gosh i love i love this show i love these writers i know all right so let's talk about nate oh because this was really adorable your favorite person the one you defend, which, frankly, because you've been defending him, my little human, he's he's the little human. Before you so you're defending him, I've I'm beginning to like him again. Mm-hmm. It's changing me. Look, you're changing me. <laughs> I'm uh, cheering for him. I'm cheering for him. But I feel like this was a really nice like we got to see that kind of dorky side of him again. Yeah. The, you we know, got to like see his family. Well, yeah, that was really interesting to finally yeah. see that he really does have a sister and he really does have a niece, but uh, super cute. And I love that, um, you know, he keeps like going by to like. So here's he, an interesting he like it's every day. Right. Grand gesture. Grand gesture. It's like that fine line between liking someone and stalking. Right? I knew like, you were going to say like, the stalking thing because he does put his <laughs> when you once you put your hands <laughs> to the window, that's when it gets stalkerish. Yeah. But she also is interesting because she also she's, is yeah, looking she's for starting him. to like, notice. Yeah. Like he does his grand gesture and then now she starts to look for him. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. This, I thought that was really cute. Yeah, this was cute. And I love that he keeps asking Siri, like, how do you know if a girl or, or not keeps, but he asked Siri, like, how do you know if a girl likes you or is just being nice to you? And if you haven't, if you have an iPhone and you haven't asked this question to Siri, you should, 
because it's hilarious. Really? Yeah. Apple like put in a response um, tied to this episode, which is actually really funny. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. Uh, yeah. So you do it both ways. So test it out. Um, how do you know if a girl likes you? And then test it out with how do you know if a boy likes you? And both of them are actually really funny responses. But yeah, so just like, you know, um, really cute to see him trying to like figure out like, does she actually like me? And this goes back to just, you know, when you don't have that kind of confidence, it's hard to to read those signals and know. Um, and especially because he's been burned, right? Like he misread, you know, Keely being nice to him and uh, misread that situation. And so it makes sense that he's a little bit nervous about, does she actually like me? Or is this, you know, uh, am I misreading this? And I also just love that he can't uh, everyone keeps telling him that you can't tell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to what you said, your theme at the beginning. Trust. There's a certain level of trust because literally it's the same question when Trent Krim comes up to Ted and it's just like, what are you doing? And he's just like, how do you know it's going to work? And Ted's like, I can't. You can't. Yeah. You know, and this this is this keeps showing up over and over again. So. What I found that was so fascinating, and I I need to hear your thoughts on this. He goes there, you know, because his his finally his mom. Oh my gosh! Oh, I'm sorry. His mom, <laughs> his mom showing the grand gesture that her his dad did with the whole map. The map, thing, yeah, that was amazing. Which is like it's just it almost looks like a book report. I was just like it was like it was like he drew it with cartoons. Like it's cute, you know. Yeah. This dad that I've always seen is like really mean, like or you know, you know, or just like really tough. Reminds me of my dad in some ways. And then he does something so sweet for her. Yeah. And then they encourage him to be like, "Well, go ask her out. What's the worst that can happen?" And he goes through that whole scenario of like we'd go it would feel awkward i'd run away the next i could never then go back to my favorite restaurant and then if we do go to the restaurant that i have to sit outside and eat fish and chips while y'all eat inside of like oh my gosh like to go to be in his mind is exhausting it is exhausting and he had a similar response um back in season one in the episode where they go to liverpool and ted says you know why don't you talk to the or do you have any ideas when they're sitting yeah and he says i do but um i won't share them because and he has like this big long thing about what might happen and i think i talked about this last time about this idea of worst case best case most likely yep um yeah and so he his like negativity bias is so strong and so he just strong. like jumps to that worst case like the choose map he yeah. goes straight to the judger straight yeah. to the judger but i love that ultimately uh, oh and then when he does go into the restaurant to ask her out and then has to go to the bathroom that's the part i wanted to ask you about yeah yeah what do you want to ask so what did you think him go into the bathroom? Right. And well, so I I sat there. I was at the edge of my sofa, like at the and I was just like, yeah. don't spit, don't spit, don't spit. That's what I said. I said the same thing. <laughs> I was like, please don't get angry. Please don't be that a-hole. Like you've gone, you've you've done so much, right? I know. And and then I, he didn't, and I was so happy for him. I was like, yay. And then he leaves. And I love that he's I love that we the- had the same thought. That's awesome. Don't spit. I think a lot of people did. Um, that was one yeah. of the things I saw in the the Facebook group was a lot of people were like, I just kept yelling, don't spit at the TV. I was like, okay, I think everybody felt the same way. But 
Look what Ted Lasso has done. It's got us all on the same page without even Uh, having to say it. I mean, that's some good writing. That's some great writing. That is with the lasso way just happened to, to all of us. Yeah. And so then I love that he he puts together that box. And what's funny is when he when we meet his niece, he's always told everybody that that he's helped that he helped his niece build the boxes, right? That he yeah. had created or whatever. And we learned that she always has the vision, but he's the one who actually builds it. And right. I thought that was really sweet. And so the fact that he put all this time into building that box, and mm-hmm. I was devastated when he got like run over, but <laughs> But the fact that he still was just like, you know what? Like, fuck it. Like, I'm going to go yeah. and just do this anyway. And he's like, do you, do you want to have dinner? Yeah. And, and, you know, and she's just like, yes. And, yeah. oh, my gosh. I was like, this is so sweet. And yes. just going back to that idea that everything doesn't have to be perfect, right? Yes. In fact, I think that is what appealed to her more was that it wasn't. And so. Well, because he's always tried to be perfect in front of her. He's exactly. always tried to be impressive. But even but, you know, even though it's a grand gesture, I feel like uh, the the process of him making the box was even so sweet because it ties back to the first season when he used to make the boxes for the comet cards. Like the fact that he's still doing that shows that there's still a certain level of humanity in him, Mm -hmm. if anything, like it's it's showing up more and more. Yeah. Um, and I feel like he, if he doesn't make, this is the ironic part, right? Of, of imperfection and doing a lot of different things, a lot of failures on your way to success. Yeah. If he doesn't make the box, maybe he doesn't have the bravery to then ask her, Yeah. you know, but, yeah. and the box needs to be also, he needs to make it. And like, almost like uh, those mandala sand things. And then it needs to be run over so mm-hmm. that he has to let go of it. Yeah. But he's gone through the process of exactly um, of the gesture exactly. that he's already processed it in his mind. So then he has the bravery to ask. Yeah. And then she asks if there's anything alive in there. I love <laughs> yeah. That. Yeah. Their whole dynamic is really adorable. Like, yeah. I think she's got a really funny sense of humor. And I think he bring she brings it out in him, too, because even when he was at the window and he's looking and she's like, she looks back at the person behind her and she points at him and uh-huh. and he just he's like, um, you know, and, and like their their whole back and forth was just really cute. And so I think she's she's kind of good for him. Like, I I would not have said that when I first when we first met her, but um, I I'm getting to like her a lot, too. Yeah. So that's pretty much most of the episode. Uh, just one little thing I wanted to mention from the beginning, the opening montage was um, Jamie pulling Roy and Roy on the like Roy's on the bike and Jamie's pulling him through town. Yeah. And Roy's yelling mush mush. So like mushing is like dog sledding, right? Like where the dogs are like pulling you and so I thought that was kind of funny. But so this is the reason why I consider this the most special episode of season 3 for me was the magic that happened at the end, right? So I love I thought they were going to win the game against Arsenal, but they didn't. They just scored one goal, which is actually great because it's much more realistic, you know, than them coming and scoring four goals. Um, And the fact that people were, you know, somewhat happy. But the moment when Trent Crimp mm-hmm. runs in and he's excited. And Trent is never excited. Never. I've never seen him this joyous in my life. And I, it was to the point that I had to like write it down specific, you know, word for word. And I went back and over and over to watch this part when it was just like, 
but he like stops the door from closing. He runs up to tread, uh, uh, Ted and he's like, it's starting to work. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, Ted, it's going to work total football. And I'll tell you why it's the lasso way, you, you know? And he's like, huh? And he's like, you haven't switched tactics in a week. And he's like, no, you've done this over three seasons. And he's like, what are you talking? You know, he's like, I'll confuse. And he's like, yes, by slowly, by slowly, but surely building a club wide culture of trust and support through thousands of imperceptible moments, all leading to their inevitable conclusion, total football. And it's just like, <laughs> and then he runs away and then they're like, you know, like, you know, Roy's like, oh, he's such a dork. And he's like, but he's our dork, right? I know, I love but that. But there's, but that right there, yes, by slowly but surely building a club-wide culture of trust and support through thousands of imperceptible moments, all leading to this inevitable conclusion. This, talking about tying this to work, yeah, this is how you create great work cultures. This is how you make work suck less. And what's ironic when I go to all these HR conferences and all this stuff like that is everyone is looking for the grand gesture. Yeah. Everyone's looking for the one solution, the magic bullet as people. I don't even know why you call it a bullet because you're murdering someone with it. But like, you know, yeah, they're trying to find that one quick solution. And it's like, no, dude, it's the thousands of imperceptible moments. It's every single day showing up. Yeah. And I don't think enough of leaders realize that is the magic. Yeah. And they need to stop looking for like the next new thing or the next new trend in leadership and simply be more human thousands of times to their staff. Like, yeah. It's yeah. that simple, but it's yeah. also so difficult yeah. to do. It is. And that's that's really at the heart of psychological safety and human centered leadership. Right. Is this idea that like we get to know our people through these little moments so uh -huh. that when the big things happen, we've already created that space. And it's not like we're scrambling to now try to find out how to connect because we're not going to be able to. So, yeah, yeah I, I agree. And even like in the um, equity, inclusion, belonging space, like a lot of the work that I do, like I've stopped taking on certain clients at this point because of this exact reason that they want the one thing that's going to fix all of this. And it's yeah. like, no, you it takes work and it takes yeah. like doing things over and over and over again to make those changes and to make changes that are going to stick. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing right. to do the work instead yeah. of just talking about doing the work? So the fact that Trent, of all people, the most, you know, pessimistic of people at the very beginning, remembering him at the Indian restaurant being like, what in the world is this dude doing? And being like, he's just going to ruin everything to now be so excited that he must talk to Ted, like just shows that even he has been infected by the <laughs> lasso way. Yeah. And I just love it. That's that was the part that just was like, yeah, that was really awesome. This is a culmination of three seasons for me. And this is just such a glorious moment. Yeah. Well, so what's your biggest takeaway from this episode? It's not the grand gestures. It's the <laughs> imperfect, consigi, imperceptible moments. And how do you create more of those moments? is by being playfully present. And you saw that with the team. Then when they were playfully present and embraced 
the imperfection of total football. That's when that's when magic showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think my biggest takeaway is also just it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, nothing has to be perfect. So, yeah. Ooh, such a good episode. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, I can't believe we're already halfway. Let's go. That I think this <laughs> is over halfway through now. So, oh, yeah, man. Crazy. They, I mean, even I'm getting a little sad now. I know. I know. Uh, well, thanks, everyone, for tuning in and listening. And we will see you again next week. Take care. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Instagram or on our website, WWTLDpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Every rating helps us get our show in front of more listeners. To that end, we'd also ask if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends, loved ones, randos on the street. You get it. Thank you to the team at Podify for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for all our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slato for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, what would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do? Ted Lasso do?